Hi, this is Mario Andretti. Mark Blundell. Mark Priestley. Claire Cottingham. Ben Edwards. Jamie Chadwick. Mark Gallagher. Freddie Hunt. Bobby Eaton. Greg Scarborough. Alex Brundle. You're listening to... And you're listening to... You're listening to... Everything F1. Everything F1. Everything F1. Everything F1 podcast. Driven. Driven. Driven, driven by fans. For fans. And welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. Uh, my name is Sean, and joining me to discuss the latest F1 news and updates this evening is Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, we also have Kiara. How are you? Hi, I'm good too. Just got back home. Very good. And Hamish, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks. Same, same as Amy here. I've just got back home, been in uh, London all week, so a uh, bit tired, but uh, excited to get speaking about all things F1 that's been going on. Yes, absolutely. Just because the season ends does not mean the news ends. And as we actually speak, a bit of news, a bit of interesting news dropped only a couple of hours ago. So before we get into that, we are, of course, Everything F1. You can check us out on all social media at Join EF1. You can also check out our website, everythingf1.com, for daily news and articles. Even over the holiday break, any new news that drops, we will have it there for you if we can't get it onto the podcast in time. Don't forget as well to check out our fantastic sponsors, theraceworks.com, where you can get all of your merchandise for any of the F1 teams and the wider motorsport community. Uh, theraceworks.com, use code EF1 at checkout for 10% off site-wide. Perfect Christmas gift for the Formula One fan in your family. Theraceworks.com, EF1 at checkout for 10% off. We'll leave a link to that in the show notes as always. Now then, before we crack on to the news of the day, let's have a bit of a bit of a game, bit of fun of a bit of roundups of the season. It's our first chance to have a proper chat about the season as a whole without having to worry about any races to review. So I've set the team a bit of a last minute challenge. So we want to find out the bests and worsts of the season, and then we'll have a bit of a prediction for next year. So I want to go around the group and start with your best driver of the season. So, Amy, I'm going to put you on the spot right away. Who is your driver of the season? I mean, I tried to stay away from Max Verstappen. I Me really too. Did. So <laughs> I've gone for Oscar Piastri just because I do feel like he has stepped up into that McLaren quite well as a rookie. And I, I do think he's got so much potential. And we've seen that this season. He's shown his talent. Yep, very, very good call. He obviously won Rookie of the Year. Not that there was all that much competition. Although, had he been in it for a bit longer, I think Liam Lawson could have thrown his uh, hat in the ring for that one for sure. But yeah, Oscar Piastri, fantastic rookie season from him. I think we all had very, very high expectations and fantastic to see him live up to that. And I thought his comment at the award ceremony was hilarious. I hope I'm never a rookie again. I don't think he has too much to worry about then. I can't see him leaving Formula One for quite a long time. Kiara, who is your driver of the season? The only non-Red Bull person to beat Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz. Wow. That's 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 a that's a different one. I wasn't quite expecting that. Show your work. Explain your reasoning. Is that is that just it that he's the only one to beat to beat Max? Well, not really. I actually was pretty impressed with Carlos this season because for me, like I mean, Oscar Piastri is also a good choice. I think what they have in common is that both of them are quite calm and collected, and I think Carlos has shown a bit more maturity on what he can do and with his his own strategies. For example, that move with Lando where he gave him the DRS so that they could keep George away. It's just like one of those simple things where you're like, okay, so that's what he can do if he's allowed to, and if he's able to show that, then he will. Yep, very, very good point. And we'll get onto it in a little while, but I completely agree with you for another one of the points relating to Singapore. Spoiler alert. Hamish, then, your driver of the season. I mean, it has to go to Fernando Alonso, right? I mean, if you think about 2023 entering it, what we expected, the one man who shattered all expectations was Fernando Alonso. I don't think anyone think, thought he'd be five podiums in the first race, let alone in several. So, for me, although he did never beat Verstappen, I think it was the only driver that actually challenged him all year. So I think I think Alonso has to be up there for me. Yep, very, very good point. I actually had him as my driver of the season as well for the same reasons, but I'm going to change things up just so we have four different drivers and say Lando Norris. I completely agree. I think Land uh, Fernando had a great season to finish fourth in that Aston Martin, or nearly fourth in that Aston Martin where we finished. I'll take that one again. <clears throat> 
to have the year he did in that Aston Martin was phenomenal. And even when the car tailed off, he was still always there, clinging on to points and ticking them over all throughout the season. Lando, though, I think the second he was given the car, he he just walked away with it. I think he he really, really proved that give him a race winning car nearly and he, he he's going to beat anyone. I think I think he proved this year that he absolutely has the talent to compete with the likes of Charles and Max on his day. And I really, really hope that we see a lot more from him next season. Moving on then to worst driver of the season or worst is a bit harsh. Who had maybe the least impressive season? And I'll take the pressure off you all first. I'll say Sergio Perez. Second, he finished so far behind Max in the same car that Max could have won the championship twice in the gap. He finished closer to Logan Sargent than he did to his teammate in the best Formula One car ever made. Not impressive by Sergio Perez in my book. Amy, throw to you then your, your least impressive worst driver of the season. I put Perez down too, but (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, let's just go right there. Like you said, the point difference is just insane. I was like, as a second driver in a Red Bull car, I honestly loved Perez prior to this season. I just feel like this season, I I, I don't know what's happened to him. It's Mm. like, there's no way you can have that big of a difference between the the two cars and your team. There's just no way. And if it comes down to it, I do think that kind of proves that, but that point different kind of proves that maybe it is his driving and not the car. Mm. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And F1 have been really trying to kind of big him up, especially in the last week with all the awards. Like the most amount of overtakes in the season was Sergio Perez. It's like, that's not impressive. He qualified outside of the... He, how many times did he miss Q3? He missed Q3 like five or six races in a row while Max was on pole and winning 10 in a row. I'm sorry, that's that's just not impressive. That's really grasping at straws for success in that one. Chiara, your worst, least impressive driver of the season. I would have to go with Lance Stroll on this one if you compared him to Alonso he just wasn't there and I think one point that bothered me the most was that he just he wasn't concentrated his head was somewhere else and I think they also quite had had a bit of a point difference Fernando Mm -hmm. and Lance so yeah he could do better next season I hope so yeah, I, I, I think that's a very, very fair point. There was a, a, a period there in the summer where he was in interviews and he very much looked like someone who didn't want to be there and felt he didn't have to be there, but was under no pressure because well, he's not getting sacked, is he? Whereas you saw the likes of Nick DeVries and even Danny Ricardo and Sergio Perez, they're not sure where their future lies. So they have to toe the line and they have to do all the PR stuff. And Lance very much didn't... Uh, Bank Didn't of see- Daddy. The Bank of Daddy, indeed. Hamish, who would you rank as your lowest driver of the year? I feel like it's unfair, the, the driver I'm going to name. I don't think it's particularly the lowest on my list, but I think expectations that I have for him, mm. he he didn't achieve them. And I think he d- thinks he didn't either, and that's George Russell. I think, okay. you know, if we're speaking about points differences, things like this, you could say it was maybe similar to Sainz and Leclerc in the sense that there's clearly one driver. I think Sainz was better for our driver, but... Leclerc came back in the season and redeemed his year, I felt. He had a really yeah. good race with Las Vegas and Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. I don't think George Russell redeemed himself at any point this season. I feel like he had the opportunity, and you could argue Toto Wolff and Lewis Hamilton threw him to the Wolves in Japan and a few other races. But you look at Singapore, you look at Las Vegas when he had the collision with Max. Mm-hmm. There was just too many instances for me to go, yeah, George looked like a world champion. He has in the past, but I didn't leave this season thinking... George is an ex-British world champion. I left it thinking Lando was, and Lando had the slower car. So say what you want. I think I, I think George will be looking to make a different a different career path for himself in 2024. Yep, I think that's very fair. And to be fair to George as well, he himself has come out and said this is probably the worst season of his career. I think that's very telling. And yeah, I think you're right. It's a perfect way to put it. It's like expectations versus reality. George, unfortunately, just didn't really match even last season where he blew Hamilton out of the water, I thought. And he just... Didn't really follow that up this season. Right, next then, team of the season. Amy, your team of the season. I have put McLaren because I, when I went, went for team, I kind of went for the team pairings as well. I just think the pairing of Lando and Oscar is really good. And I think for McLaren to go from almost bottom at the start of the season to near the top is quite, that jump was quite big. And I think they made the most improvements in the team overall, like from 
going and starting off, they, I think they've made the biggest improvement as a team. And I feel like that is what is more important in F1 is the fact that they are learning. They are bringing a car that is competitive and they are learning from what they've kind of done in the past. And I'm hoping next season it will carry through and that they'll, get, they'll be up there again. <laughs> Yep, very, very fair. I don't remember the last time I saw a turnaround like they had this year. Kiara, who would you rate as your team of the season? My team of the season would also have to be McLaren. Okay. <laughs> I think, yeah. well, obviously I agree with everything Amy said, but if you have to think about a different team as well, I would have, and and driver pairings, and I would say Ferrari is the next one there because, yes, they have some rocky moments and sometimes you can't rely on Ferrari either and their strategy but I think they still showed what they can do with those silly mistakes and obviously Charles was on the podium quite a fair amount of time and Carlos as well and they do get along as a team as well I think Fred's obviously changing some things up Mm -hmm. yep very fair Hamish team of the season I mean, I've, I've got to do it because I feel like someone has to I mean as much as everyone we don't want to say Red Bull as much as we want to say a team, which is a bit different and maybe not one people think of. I mean, to win 22 or 23 races, it's one thing that's a, it's only been done once before in Formula 1, which was McLaren. And there's a great poster so I made. It's based off the Porsche advert in the 80s. It says, nobody's perfect. And so like I made a Ferrari. Red Bull. Yeah, exactly. And what? I think they, they got pretty damn close. And in the day, you have to give credit where it's due. I mean, you look at Hannah Schmidt with her strategies, look at what Horn has been able to do this year. That team is as close as you get to an F1 team working at its best. And you can say it was Newey's designs, but you can have a great car and absolutely screw it, right? And I'm not going to say look at Freud last year, but kind of look at Freud last year together this year and make it work pretty much every race. And even when they had a bad race, they still got fifth, which is bloody impressive when you think about it so yeah i think i think it just has to be red bull in the day yep perfectly understandable like you said near faultless achieve something that only mclaren themselves have ever achieved which is win all but one race which they lost to ferrari which i'm sure is maybe ferrari's golden moment of the season to cling on to that same stat that they achieved in 1988 for myself i'm gonna say mclaren i know we're all not so secret well, most of us are not so secret mclaren fans uh here on the show but uh, i i was just absolutely blown away it was an absolutely awful start to the season i was in tears almost in bahrain when they were just limping around how many minutes down at the back of the grid it was absolutely awful and I think the last time I saw a, a mid-season improvement that much was McLaren themselves in 2009, and it was still nowhere near the change this season. Yes, they won a race in 2009 eventually, but that car was still miles off the pace of the Braun and Red Bull, whereas the, the, the McLaren this year was within touching distance, not so much in race pace, but certainly in qualifying pace of the Red Bull, and did technically win a race. The sprint race, but it did win something. It finished first on the road this year, and... If you'd have told me that at the start of the season that McLaren and Oscar would win a sprint race this season, I would have bitten your hand off at the chance for that. So I'm going to give it to McLaren. Nearly a clean sweep, but much like Red Bull getting beaten by Ferrari, McLaren have been beaten by Red Bull this time around. Worst team of the season then, Amy? I've gone for Alpha Tauri. Now, I've done it based off the sense that I think the organisation, the car itself wasn't great. The way... I know Red Bull is known for like bringing in drivers and dropping them out like the way they dropped De Vries. They've done it before to other drivers as well. But I don't. I just feel like it was all a bit of a shambles this season. No one had a grips on the team. No one knew what was going on. Daniel Ricciardo was coming. Has he actually provided much for the team? Has Yuki Tsunoda really done that well in the car? I just feel like the car's never improving. We've not seen the car improve much at all. And I just think overall that the teamwork of the team, I don't think was there throughout the season. And that's kind of why I've gone for them. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, they certainly flip-flopped throughout the year and had a lot of, shall we say, headlines, but probably not for the reasons they would have wanted. And now are they changing their name to Racing Bulls for next season? It's yeah, apparently. Terrible, so. <laughs> terrible name. But they're not just going back to Toro Rosso. Yeah, fair enough. Yep, Alpha Tauri. Chiara, who are you putting at the bottom of that of that list? I would have to go with Alfa Romeo because they were just completely forgettable for me. I mean, I wasn't concentrating on them while watching the races, even live. I just never knew where they were. And I was like, oh, okay, points, no points. Fine with that. I just didn't care too much about them. I think no one did. Yep, fair enough. Hamish? 
though i'm sorry i'm gonna join in there i think with kiara and say oh turning over there but i'm gonna join kiara there and say it's to me it was uh, alfa romeo just because i think if you look at where they were in 22 i mean I, you saw a couple of teams drop off from their position how they did in 2022 uh, ferrari is a good example of that as well but I, th- I felt Alfa Romeo just kind of lost themselves the season. They scored 54 points last season and only 16 this year. I think Bottas got 10 and Zhao got 6. The, the drop-off is huge. And they, they seem to do... They, well, I thought they did a right quality. When I look back, I think they had quite a good quality car. But, you know, you look at the stats, it wasn't nearly as good as you, you thought. It was just an erratic car. It kind of was all over the shop. And I think they could have been redeemed by having maybe one star driver I know Bottas, he had a fair share of strong results at Mercedes, but I'm not sure he's a strong enough driver to lead that team in what they need right now. I think almost getting Porsche or someone else in that seat might might benefit the team a bit more. So, uh, yeah, I felt like overall it was, just, it was just a weak year and a forgettable year. Uh, I think that that's something I want to turn around for Audi get there, or at least if they want to impress Audi, they should mm. probably think about doing that. Very fair. I've been flip-flopping since we started recording on this one between Alpha and Haas. I'm going to say Haas. And there's there's two main reasons for this. One, I said this earlier in the in the year on the show that Alfa Romeo this season to me feel like the Lance Stroll of Formula One teams. They have big daddy money bags coming in soon. They're not gonna they're they're not at risk of going out of business or shutting down the factory. Alpha Audi are already pumping money into them as we speak. They are safe. They're not gonna. Um, and and I said this before as well. That's not to take away. Obviously, there are hundreds of people working at the Alpha Cyber team to make that car, put it together, get it on the track and try and improve it. I, I don't mean this as a slight on them. I just mean long term. I think their their goals and their projects are set towards 2026 to when they have that alpha badge and they're just sort of waiting it out for the next couple of seasons. At least that's what I think. But I'm going to rate Haas as worse because yes, they were the worst team of the season. I thought Magnussen and Hulkenberg were awful. Personally, I don't think Hulkenberg justified his return to Formula 1 at all this season. I know a lot of people said that, oh, he absolutely smashed Kevin Magnus into pieces. He didn't. The two of them were crap from start to finish. I don't think either of them deserves their seat in Formula 1. Certainly not any more than Mick Schumacher did last year. And Haas, to me, Gene Haas doesn't give a damn about that team. He doesn't give a damn about Formula 1. He is phoning it in because it makes him a fortune because of the Concord Agreement. And he he's probably one of the ones leading the charge to make sure Cadillac and Andretti don't come in because it'll be worth less money to him as currently the only F- American team. I, I don't I don't like Haas. I think they are the worst example of just faking through Formula One and not giving a damn about it. I've ranted about them a couple of times, but uh, this is probably the third year in a row now I've put them as the worst team of the season. And shy of Gene Haas selling it, I don't think I could see that changing for the next several seasons. So anyway, there we go. That's my rant over. Let's get on to best race of the season then. And I get mine out of the way and not rant. It's Singapore. It's one of the best races I've seen in forever. It was a masterclass by Carlos Sainz and I leave it at that. Amy, on to you. Best race of the I've season. done the exact same. I've done Singapore. I was Fair. like, let's be real here. It's been a season where we've had one person dominating it. I think for a change, it was just nice to see actual racing being in place a bit, to be honest. Yep, for sure. Kiara, your race of the season? Besides, let's remove all of the mess that started with it, but I would have to go with Las Vegas on this one because it was in, I would say it was like the surprise of the season. Because obviously it started off very rocky. Everyone had different opinions on it. And we all thought it was going to be really, really bad. But it turned out to be one of the most entertaining races to see. And it was actually really exciting to even be there and see what's going on and be part of history as the Las Vegas Grand Prix comeback, so to say. Yep, very fair. Yeah, I think they 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 earned the right to maybe have a, have another couple of years on the calendar. I was very, very skeptical about it. But I have to say the race was was enjoyable. Hamish, what was your race of the season? Yeah, I'll do something different Singapore. Uh, I'll, I'll go Zandvoort. How about that? Because I think that was a good race. I think the, the mixture of the wet weather and dry, um, It's there's been very few races this year on the lights I felt anticipation. And I remember looking at Zandvoort and on that first lap, I remember thinking, I have no clue what's about to happen. And although you had Max eventually catch Perez literally by seconds on one lap, mm. there, there was moments in that race you really thought anything could happen. And the red flag at the end when the rain came, it was one of those races you felt like anything happened and a bit like Vegas in the sense that when the crowd's into it, when there's a, when there's a, when the track's alive from, from the fans, it makes all the difference. And Zambot's one of those tracks, which is you're always excited to go and see because of, because of the Orange Army. So uh, yeah, I felt that was a really strong race. 
Fair, yeah, very, very good race, very memorable, and a good example of how to do a wet race properly. It was very wet, but I don't think as soon as people started sliding off like they were on ice, the red flag came straight out. They were quite cautious with that. Some might say too cautious. I don't think there's any such thing as too cautious in that kind of weather, but we still had a very good race, and Liam Lawson overtook Max Verstappen at one point. He unlapped himself, but he overtook Max Verstappen. He was the, was, am I right in saying he was the first person to overtake Max on track? up to that point in the season or something like some mad stat like that yeah um, I think that's true which i, I thought think was fantastic, he was yeah which was which was fantastic after nearly binning the car not a few laps earlier worst race of the season then amy i've gone with the hungarian grand prix i think it was just a complete bowl fest in my opinion it was very just i think it had one of the least overtakes of the season as well mm-hmm. so there was just nothing going on and generally i'm not a big fan of the hangara ring to be honest with you anyway it's not one of my favorite tracks at all if anything and but this year it just really wasn't it i was like what am i watching and just Mm. nothing's happening type of thing yeah very fair i think the most exciting thing that weekend was that max wasn't on pole lewis was not that it mattered because he fell away instantly but yeah i agree unfortunately Fortunately, Hungary doesn't really lend itself to good racing, which is a shame because it's really good fun to play in the games. And it's a good place to go. I was at it a couple of years ago. And if you can get up on the hill, you can see like 80% of the track from one spot. So that's oh, cool. Wow. You're not watching very exciting racing, but you can see the cars at all times, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Kiara, your worst race of the season. My worst race of the season would have to be the Miami Grand Prix because I think it was all too much. And I think... I would have to say that the Miami Grand Prix was the trashier version of what we all thought Las Vegas would be. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, very, so very fair. I would definitely have to go with that one. I was very skeptical about Vegas, but I have to agree. I think Miami still takes it for crap and cheese so far. Uh, Hamish, your worst race of the season? I mean, it has to be Abu Dhabi. I just think like, I. oh, by the way, happy Abu Dhabi day. Sorry, two years ago today, 2021, bringing that up. But oh, um, yeah, sorry, happy. It's just, a, it's an anniversary at this point, isn't it? But I know, no, I the think- The season I, ended early this year. <laughs> I know, sorry. Well, I'll lead on to that because I think Abu Dhabi's had, it's had some good races. I mean, 2021, love it or hate it, it was what is, it's, it's, it's a, it's a century. It, when you look back at the racing that existed in the early uh, 2010s and 2020s, you're going to think of- Abu Dhabi 2021. It's one of those races which is just iconic. And it's had other, I think 2010 was a great race in Abu Dhabi. It's, it's proved it can have good racing. But at the same time, it's just year after year, there seems to also be absolute just dead races. And I felt this mm-hmm. year was one of them. But the fact that the biggest moment was a slight incident between Perez and Lando, which was to me clearly a racing incident said enough about what was going on that track. Max won it by a larger gap than he won Bahrain, which said enough about where all the other teams were at. I just felt... Yeah, I don't know. I could have I could have probably ended the season last week as being a much happier man than watching Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fair. Looks like a fantastic spectacle, but even the good races are good more because of the story around them. Like 2010 was exciting because Fernando couldn't overtake anyone. <laughs> Every other year, Fernando not overtaking anyone makes it very boring. <laughs> Same 2016, it was really exciting because Nico couldn't overtake Lewis. Not because the two of them were going wheel to wheel, bashing each other off the road all the time. So yeah, that's fair. I'm going to be controversial and say Monaco. It's just boring, isn't it? No, never have been. I've been there. I've walked the track. It's all glitz and glam. It's all very exciting. And Essie Bestie was on the podium, which was fun, but awful. It's uh, The most exciting thing is qualifying and then just fast forward through the race just to see if anything maybe happens. So come at me in the comments, but there we go. Monaco is the most boring race every year. Lastly, then one wild prediction for 2024, Amy. This is really hard. I actually like scribbled out a few things and I was like, I want to make it entertaining, but at the same time, I'm so like realistic when I come to my expectations of things, but I'm just going to say, I think it's, I think it's going to happen anyway, but Lando Norris get a win, but I, I, that's not really wild. That's just, I think that will happen. <laughs> Yep, fair enough. I had that as well, but I'm going to change mine in a sec. Kiara, your your wild prediction for next year? Wild prediction. I'm going to say they're going to sack Checo mid-season and put in Daniel Ricciardo for Red Bull. Yes, that is very possible. And I think a fair few prominent F1 podcasters predicted at the start of this season that Danny would replace... Nick DeVries halfway through the season, which is exactly what happened. So you might have, we might clip that in in August when that maybe happens. Oh my um, God. <laughs> and get out ahead of that one. Uh, Hamish, your wild one. Okay, my wild one would be that McLaren has a really poor start to the season. 
I think they can develop a car really well. Don't think they can build one off the start. I mean, if you look at McLaren's history, they always start a season really badly. Every time I think about them, especially in recent history, their initial package is not where it's at. They always go, oh, I've not developed it over winter. And then by half of the season, they're one of the strongest teams on the grid. And I, I can't see that not happening again. I don't know why they do it. Maybe the wind tunnel might change things now they've got a bit more permanent one. But uh, yeah, I think, I think McLaren is going to be in the midfield, if not slightly behind that, because they always seem to be there on the first race. Yep, that's very fair. And that's my biggest worry for next season is exactly that. They always seem to... It, it feels like they seem to overthink the, the the winter developments. They go into winter with a brilliant car. I'm thinking 2012 immediately. They had arguably the best car on the grid by the end of the year. It was just unreliable. And they changed the entire concept because they thought we can't go any further with this. There's only one more year of those rules that even if they could only take it two tenths further they'd have won the championship and then they went and ruined it and have them in the same seat so yeah i think that's a very very fair prediction mine again potentially controversial max won't be the champion that's that, hmm. that's my prediction for now i'm not who saying you think who will, will be, be. i don't know i don't know who will be i just think max won't be i also don't think it'll be checo but if i'm if i'm gonna put my hat in the ring for somebody I am going to predict the Ferrari are in their second season with Fred Vasseur are going to be really strong next year. I think Charles is going to be right up there. I think Lewis was fantastic this year and Mercedes look like they've almost got a hang of their car and I think they'll have a good winter. I think he'll be back in the running. And if they do have a good winter, McLaren will be right there from the get-go and I think Lando and Oscar are the best overall driver pairing on the grid, all things considered. I know that sounds biased, but I think they proved this season that there's very little to, to to divide between them whereas every other team there's a gulf between their two drivers except maybe ferrari but towards the end of the season charles definitely ran away with it but yeah so that that's my wild prediction is that max won't be the champion and i won't do the podcast this time next year when i'm wrong but i will do it if i'm right <laughs> so we'll remember abu dhabi day next year we need um, to clip all of yeah these. we'll clip that too <laughs> right that is our uh, fun sum up of the season. Now let's get on to some of the news that has happened since the season ended. And there's nowhere else we can start but the absolute farce that was the FIA's investigation into Susie Wolf, essentially. So I'm not going to claim to know all the information about that. I don't think any of us are, because to be fair, I don't think anybody even really knows what really went on. But uh, Hamish, you might give us the, the the brief summary of what you believe happened. Yeah, I mean, again, as you said, before I get super liable or slander, I don't quite know the full events, purely because I don't think a lot of it's come out. But from what I understand is a magazine called Business F1 reported that confidential FIA information was being passed between Toto Wolf and his wife, Susie Wolf, who is also the CEO, CEO of F1 Academy. Obviously, she is a member of FOM because of that. So she's involved in a lot of confidential meetings, which I can understand there might be valuable information within her what she knows to Toto but anyway so they reported that a team principal had come out and said that they have reasonable suspicion to believe that confidential information passed between the the two parties I, I just mentioned and before really kind of doing any background information and checking this report through by, by Business F1, they immediately jumped the gun and uh, started investigating it, to which Susie Wolf and all the teams uh, had something to say, all saying that no one had kind of reported any suspicious behaviour of, of that matter to the FIA. And Susie Wolf came out and f very fairly said this behaviour is very misogynistic. Mm. As soon as this came out and all the teams backed it, the FIA immediately dropped it and it didn't go any further. What it says to me is it says the ongoings between the FIA and F1 are still very much strong. There's obviously a bit of a rivalry there. It's very much inner workings and you've heard rumours here and there, but I still think there's a bit of competition going on between the two, two parties there. And also, I think it says the FIA, we've gone through a lot of changes since Abu Dhabi 2021, but there's still obviously... A lot, to, a lot to, st to still do, especially towards sexism within 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 F1. We've taken the right steps, but as Susie Wolf said, it's it's not quite gone far, uh, far enough. And my issue is, we F1 Academy is it's not only important; it, it's crucial. It's it's mm. absolutely needed in this day and age. And if we can't even have the governing body back the CEO of that company and a woman who really has represented women in F1 for over a decade now since she was Williams Reserve driver and way before that, really. How can that go any further? We need to back in both F1 and the FA to improve. 
So it's all a bit weird. And so I will end this round in a sec. But my issue as well with Trotton Business F1, they have, it will probably link it somewhere, but they they want, I, I saw it actually weirdly at Ultima International. The stand there, and I remember opening the magazine just to flick through because I hadn't particularly seen it. And I was like, I, want, I just want to give it a quick read. And they were basically talking about marketing W Series and how they got it wrong. And the article basically goes into how they should have marketed F1, oh, sorry, W Series, to sexualize the woman. Uh, and this was a full-on kind of three-page feature in, in their magazine. So to trust a, a magazine that was willing to put, uh, publish that this year mm. says enough to me. So why would you why would you trust that source? You know, as the FAA is maybe this very intelligent governing body that's meant to be aware of these things. So they mean you jumped on quite an untrustworthy source. And I think it's well known that Business F1 is not a source you should turn to for, for your news. So yeah, anyway. Yeah, thank you very much for, for some of that all up for us. I think there's quite a lot to unpack there. For me, it's the the, the the farcical nature of it. Like you said, that one, it was a fairly unreliable source. The fact that all 10 teams came out within an hour to back up that this was bullshit claim was proof in my eyes that it wasn't any of them that allegedly leaked this. Or at the very least, if any of them did leak it, they backed off on it so damn quickly, they didn't think it was worth actually pursuing. So, not that it was, but for example, if it was Christian Horner, he clearly didn't have that much evidence that Toto had done anything wrong, otherwise he never would have backed down, because they don't really like each other, do they? I'm not saying it was Christian, I actually don't believe it was him at all, if it was any of them, but just to shut the people who think it was him up, if he had actual, if they had actual proof, they wouldn't have dropped it. Amy, how how did this all hit you? What, what did you make of this whole debacle? I think I was more annoyed at the fact that, like, as a journalist, as any journalist you you are, you have you have to have findings for what you're reporting on, and it's the fact that this was allowed to be re- published and mm. be put out there. Like, at the end of the day, is someone's career on the line here, and I think especially someone such as Susie Wolf, but anyone as well. I don't think things should be. If it's not true, you can't put it out there. If you haven't got a source to back up what you're saying, you can't really put it out there. That is what you learn in journalism. And I think as well, Susie Wolf being the woman she is and being like, especially for me, I think I was I was 10 years old when she was a development driver and things like that. It was just seeing a woman in F1, I think she's been at the prime of that and the stuff that she does currently for F1 Academy and everything and kind of just questioning her professionalism and mm-hmm. things. I, what, like, why are we doing this when we've got so far with women in motorsport? I just honestly, it's, it's almost, it's disappointing from like the community to be like, re- there's still people out there who genuinely just kind of taken things down and for what reason because now it's kind of I feel like now we have to build like Susie Wolf kind of has to build that back up again but she is an incredible woman and shouldn't have had to had that happen and at the same time I think we were all a bit lost the day the news come out it was as far as I was aware it was a confidentiality issue and I was like okay right that is all I kind of knew and then when all the teens were like going out and my friend came running up to me and was like McLaren's just posted I was like yeah every team's posted mm. and it was like I just thought it was a big thing and now it's gone so quiet because I feel like they instantly knew that what was said was wrong but now I, I as last time I checked I think there is a legal ongoing legal battle though so yeah we'll see how that happens and affects Mercedes maybe on the grid and affects and other parties in different ways. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the, the the point about kind of media standards. This is something that that hit home for me. I, I worked in radio for a long time. My, my dad's in radio. He's been a journalist and a presenter for nearly 40 years. So and journalistic integrity is very, very important to me. And the fact that people can just especially not to sound too old footy-duddy, but in the age of social media, you can kind of say whatever you want and get away with it. I think when it comes to media such as this and stories such as this, but especially when it comes from someone like the FIA, they probably get leaks and tips and rumors and all that every single minute of the day. They really should be better at filtering it out and knowing where the bullshit's coming from, or at least doing their due diligence before putting out a one line statement saying, oh, we might look into this. Like it was the statement of it that they that someone approved that someone in the FIA's offices in Paris looked at that and thought, yes, put that on Facebook today, please. That's that's what absolutely disgusts me about this whole thing. Case or no case. 
the fact that someone thought, yeah, that's perfect. That's super professional. We can put up this bullshit post and start a whole hullabaloo. The, it absolutely disgusts me. I'd be like, but the FIA have uh, had a lot of issues over the past several years, but this this is a new low for me. Gara, what did you make of the whole situation? And then we move on to some more fun news. So I thought there were two possible ways that this news could have spread. Either someone was bored because the season's over or there was actually something between it. But my first thought was Susie and Toto have been married for quite some time now. So why now? Why are these rumors coming now? Shouldn't you have asked them this? Like when they first got together, when they maybe got engaged and got married, like, come on, there's a couple of years where this could have possibly happened already. And I think with Formula One, especially with all of the new fans that came through Drive to Survive, we've got all of these fangirls now. Things like this could easily be misinterpreted. I mean, I've been, I haven't been following Formula One for a very long time, like maybe all of you have, because I started off with DTM. So that's how I got to know Susie Wolf. And I was like, mm. okay, very impressive female driver. That's interesting for me as a young girl who was interested in cars and racing. And to hear that and the statements, like that's what I study. I study damage control, to so to say. And to see those statements in even the small apology statement, apology statement mm-hmm. that came from the FIA, that was complete nonsense. Like they should be down on their knees begging for forgiveness at this point. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I'm not the world's biggest fan of Toto Wolf, but I sincerely hope that he and Susie, who I am a big fan of, get exactly what they're looking for out of this case that there was essentially a liable case i believe and that uh, this can be put to bed before the season starts again because i think you make a good point amy like there might be some distractions if this carries on to next season everyone's likes to be professional stuff like this but this sort of thing especially when it's a completely unfounded bullshit thing um can play on your mind uh, and affect everyone around you. And when you're a team principal, a team manager, team owner, that means affecting the whole team. So here's hoping it gets put to bed very, very quickly. And the FIA grow up, <laughs> for want of a better term. Like, anyway, moving on then. We touched as we were going through our best and worst of the season that it's pretty unanimous that between the four of us, we reckon. Alfa Romeo and Haas were pretty much the worst teams of the season. Now, Kevin Magnussen and Valtteri Bottas have come out and essentially agreed with us on this one. Kevin Magnussen said said there are no great highlights from 2023. Bottas said it's been a tough ride for Alfa Romeo. So we touched on where we rank them and now to hear their drivers come out and say the same thing. Where do they go from here, the two teams? Amy, what what do you think next season holds for Haas and Alpha? Do you think that they're all just kind of phoning it in until 26? Or can we expect a little bit more from them next season? I think it's it's a tricky one because I think it's the point where people want them to do well, but they just don't. And it's like, I think Haas especially have been on the bottom now for a while. And it's you're just kind of thinking like is there ever going to be an improvement here like you're just waiting for it and it's just not coming and if it's not coming in it's not working I can understand the driver's frustration because at the end of the day I think in Formula One especially everybody wants a good car that is how you win races but it's I think it's more frustrating that there's like zero improvement there like I I haven't seen a single bit where I can be like oh yeah they have improved because they haven't and next season Unless they go into it with a different mindset, I don't know whether they need changing around or just chucking new people. Maybe like I quite like the drivers where they are there, but if they're not developing the car, if the car's not being developed, is it because the driver ain't feeding back the right information to the team? Is it like they got essentially they got rid of Mick Schumacher to bring in an older driver to try and see if that would help? Has it helped? By the looks of it, not really. And going into 2024, unless they have crucial information that can get them sort of at least in getting into the points a bit more than what they are, I don't know whether it's going to be a good season for them again. And mm. I think then it is just a bit of, they are just going to be a bottom team and they're going to be known to be a bottom team. Yep. Hamish, what do you make of the comments from, from Magnuson and Bottas and I suppose the future prospects for, for Haas and Alfa Romeo? I agree with your statement that you you said earlier about has, which is they do seem to be just kind of growing as much money as they can and not caring too much for racing. I think, honestly, when you look at 
And I know Gunter Stein is a, a big fan favourite. I think when you look at people like him and Jean has, and sort of, I, I kind of view a bunch of charlatans. I think that the, Gunther's not team principal material. If you look at the, what he's like on radio or just around attitude-wise, he's not anything like... He's a bit like Christian Horner, which always makes you laugh, but he always feels like a bit of a, the B-side of Christian Horner rather than... Because Horner has that jokey kind of Jerry Hallowell wife and great life side, but he always gets his head down when it matters. And I think he's not got that... Not got that. And at the end of the day, team principals aren't meant to be personalities. They're personalities to the drivers and get on, or get on the job famously. They're quite boring people. Well, Gunther's writing books... He's trying to get Drive Survive. He's really putting his face out. I mean, he's getting a CBS comedy made after him, which he's supervising on. And I, I don't see a man who's wanting to take his team further than it is. And I think to, to take that team further, you need, you need, you, sorry, Gunther, you need him out. You need someone who's going to take it seriously. Mm. With, with Hulkenberg and Magnussen, I think I, I rate them both, to be honest with you. I think Hulkenberg is a great driver. I think he's better than Magnussen, personally. I think Magnussen's always been a bit of an odd driver. And I think Magson's always had a bit of a loud mouth. So when I hear him say no great highlights, I kind of, I, I don't know context. I don't know the quote out of context, to be fair. So he might be saying that he's got no great highlights and so he wants to improve. But I, I just think he probably needs to get his head down a bit more and stop chatting so much. I think he's really got some quality in there, but he's always got an excuse. I always feel like with K-Mag. But I, I do rate Hulk. I think he I think he is good, but I, I just think that car is so bad. that this, No matter who you are, if you shove Max Verstappen in that car, I think it'll be hard to prove anything. And with Bottas and Alfa Romeo, yeah, you're right. I think they're just surviving to Audi. They know they just need to get through this final these final two years. I think Saab is going to be great to see back. I'm really excited to see that, and I think I think it'll be it'll be a good two years for them. But I don't think it'll be exactly impressive. I think yeah, I think they're just holding out. I think Bottas is holding out for Audi. Really, I think he's yep. thinking survive two years, I get Audi seat, and then I might be fighting for podiums again. But you need someone else than Bottas. He's a great driver, but he's only ever Hamilton's number two. And yes, he did win races, but did he win enough for how quick that car was and how dominant it was? Like we speak about how dominant how dominant Red Bull is this year. 2020, the same same dominance. And we we're sat here speaking about Perez getting kicked out. He did win two races, and I can't I can't remember how many races Bottas won in 2020, but it definitely wasn't too much more than two. Yes, he was on the podium more, probably a bit more consistent. I think he had a few more poles. But he wasn't that much stronger than the Perez. So, yeah, I, I think there needs to be major team changes in that. And, hey, we, we say Alpine is uh, kind of firing everyone. But on some level, at least they're trying to enact change. They're trying mm. to point out the weaknesses and sorting it out. If it work for them, we'll see. But I think if both teams did that, they might be a bit further up the grid. But, yeah. Yep. Fair enough for just your point there. Good memory. Valtteri Bottas won two races in 2020. Fair play. That, that was impressive. <laughs> Actually, that brings me on very nicely to our next point, which is Alpine. So this news only broke this evening, just before we recorded, which is a pleasant change because this news normally breaks after we upload the episodes. And the exodus at Alpine continues this year, right to the very end of the year. As announced today, that Davide Brivio, I think I've pronounced that correctly, is leaving the team after three years to, quote unquote, Pursue other career opportunities. And this makes for the one, two, three, fifth major loss from the team in just the past 12 months. Otmar Zafnauer, Alan Permain, Bruno Famin, and if you want to be technical about it, Oscar Piastri as well left the team at the end of last season. That is just ridiculous. Chiara, I'll come to you for this one. What is going on at Alpine? I ask myself the same question every time, but I think you said that quite nicely. I hope that what Alpine is doing is they're just getting rid of heavy weight so that they can improve for next season because this year they were also in the lines with, besides those two podiums or three podiums because Pierre Gasly did have another sprint podium up on his belt, exactly. They were equally as unforgettable as Alfa Romeo. Mm -hmm. And... I hope that what they're doing is trying to bring in the new blood and people who can actually make a difference in the team. But frankly, I thought they were quite a mess. They didn't even have a proper team principal and they they were just losing their team members here and there. So I hope that they pull themselves together because I think this year you couldn't see it, but Gasly and Ocon do have some pretty good potential. I think if you compare the, those two to, let's say, Lance Stroll's attitude, they had more of the scene of fighting attitude. And even with Logan Sargent, 
you want them to perform well and you see that they could do it with their couple of podiums. Now it's just mm. all about being consistent. But I don't know if bringing in celebrities is the best way to do that. Obviously, financially, yes, but they have well, nothing to do with Formula One. Well, and that brings me nicely on to my next question is the other obviously big news throughout this year was that investment consortium full of celebrities yet Ryan Reynolds, oh God, who else? Basketball players, the boxer, whatever his name is, the big guy. Loads of them just buying into Alpine. But what does that mean? I mean, I mean, Alpine or Renault, they're not a poor company. They don't, they're not like, they don't need pay drivers. They very much don't need pay drivers. They pay Alcon and Gasly a fortune. So like, what does bringing in all these celebrities really mean? Because with the exception of the race they all joined, I haven't heard from any of them. Have you? If I'm honest with you, I think it's a bit of a publicity stunt here. I think it's more like chucking people there. And it was like a five, 15 minute of fame type of thing. But it's a weird one. I don't understand why. Because like you said, like it's Renault, then they're not exactly like not well off. And mm. it's and it was just surprising to bring these people in. But maybe they're bringing them in as more as like, I think they need to get their publicity a bit up anyway. I do feel like it was a bit of a PR stunt, I can't lie. And I think, like you said, with the people leaving, at the minute their team isn't very, like, it's not a strong team at the minute at all. And I think we can all agree on that, like, team-wise. And I think working within that, especially as a driver or team engineer, you're with knowing about all this is going on around, at least then with the backing of celebrities, I think it will make them feel like they've got something. Mm rather than at the minute, I think kind of the publicity side of things, especially outside of the actual race in itself, is is a bit, it's got, they've had bad publicity. And I think to bring it up, they've kind of brought in the celebrities and been like, hey, all these people love us, so why don't you? Mm. Type of thing. Yeah, very fair. Hey, Hamish, what do you make of that? Is, is it a case of, maybe they didn't make too much use of it this year, but kind of literally building something publicity-wise for next year and maybe getting that. It's nice to have someone backing the team because Renault don't care. Renault don't care about Formula One. They haven't for a very long time. That's why they pulled the name out of it. They they don't care. The heads of Renault are only in it kind of for the same reason Haas are, is that it doesn't really cost them any money anymore. They pumped in enough and they make enough out of the Concord agreement to stay there. But is, is that it? Are they just working on something else? Or was this kind of maybe like a last gasp from Permainen? I think it's, I, personally, I think it's a Wrexham effect. I think what you're seeing is Alpine trying to do exactly what, what has happened in Wrexham with obviously, the, if, if people don't know, the, the football team, the North Wales football team that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney bought together and has been a part of a big Disney documentary called Welcome to Wrexham. And the team itself's done well. I mean, it's moved back up to, I think it's National League, which mm. is a part of, now part of Fifth the division, EFL. I think, yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I'm not a massive football fan, so pardon me if, if I'm wrong. But uh, that's what I see. I think they pulled in Ryan Reynolds because they go, well, if we can get him, we might have a similar thing, which is we've now got the underdog card. Whatever we do, we've got the underdog kind of mentality. And I think, I think, I think you can... You shouldn't underestimate the power of celebrities and how much it can bring people in marketing-wise. I think altogether, Ryan Reynolds, Anthony Joshua, it was the golfer Rory, Rory McIlroy. Yeah. yeah, all these people have massive followings, and Alpine don't have a really big fan base. They never really have. Even as Renault, they didn't have really not not even the French really supported them, which says a lot. Yeah, their drivers had fans as opposed. Yeah, exactly. To yeah, and Ocon doesn't really have any fans. Everyone dislikes him still from 2018, if you believe it. So it's it's one of these things where they need fans and they, they, they can they can bring that. And I think it's a massive confidence for the team. I think ultimately no one in that team was was really that confident or looked happy this year. Everyone was getting fired. Everyone was leaving. Everyone was going elsewhere. And it really brought this kind of toxic element into the team. And I felt like you saw it in races. Mm. They had races where they didn't weren't anywhere and he felt like they, they could have not been in that race and you would have known. And I, I feel like being able to say the, the the world champion heavyweight boxer Anthony Joshua believes in our project. The best golfer, the best Brit- well, British, is he Northern Irish? Is he Irish? I can't know. I'm uh, not going to take that statement uh, back. Roy McElroy from the North, yeah. Yeah, well, Irish, well, one of the best golfers in the world. Let's go for that before I start a, a war in the in the comments. But one of the best golfers of all time supports us. That that really, I can really elevate and bring bring the team to a new level. It's going to be a really mm-hmm. tough 2024, I think, for Alpine. I think ultimately, whenever you fire anyone, 
I think this is what you're trying to say with Ferrari earlier. Vassell has only been in one year. I don't think in that year he would have had any effect on the car of mm. 2023, but he will have a definite effect in the car 2024. And that's when we start to question him. I think 2024 Alpine is going to be the exact same thing. I think we're going to see a car which is really struggling. So we need to start viewing them in 2025. I think ultimately the team will be thinking, get this car out and then focus on the next step. Mm-hmm. try and improve themselves and i do th- i do think there's there's value to to their consortium we'll see where it goes maybe we'll get welcome to alpine which i, I would watch that i'll be honest I, with you but, uh, i absolutely would as well and i completely agree like the power behind getting celebrities involved if they're the right celebrities i mean like manchester united for example today put a picture up on their social media feed of kim kardashian wearing a manchester united hat that's oh not going God. to get any more fans no, or money not. into Manchester United. That's ridiculous. She doesn't know anything about football, doesn't give a damn about football whatsoever. She probably doesn't even know what the hat meant. But at least from the likes of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney care about what they're involved in. You saw that with Wrexham. They didn't just phone that in. They put a lot of money and a lot of effort into that and they're at almost every game. Rory McIlroy, massive petrol head, owns every Ferrari ever made. Anthony Joshua is as well as a big Formula One fan. So these people do actually know a little bit about Formula One or at the very least are very willing to learn. So I get that. I feel like this season they made absolutely no use out of them whatsoever at all. Like beyond the day that they all showed up was in Texas. They were all on the grid. They have not been seen at a Grand Prix since. I get that Ryan Reynolds is off filming Deadpool again, thankfully. But I can only hope that they have a plan for it for next season. But my real worry is with all the changes in Alpine, someone had this idea and they're not there anymore. And whoever's left hasn't a clue what to do with this massive platform that they've been handed and sort of dumped on if they can do it properly yes we might get a welcome to alpine and that could be really cool because when they brought danny rick in they did loads of fun videos of him coming for his first day in the office which i thought was fantastic but i think that social media person left because they've done nothing even remotely enjoyable ever since (laughs) Um, they're hiring are they're they actually hiring? hiring. Well, yeah, I saw it go. on LinkedIn, but sadly, I don't speak French. Otherwise, I would have been I, the first one there. Uh, yeah, I hope they could do something with it. My fear is just that they don't know what to do with it because yeah. there's nobody left in the company who knows what to do. Finally, then, last bit of news to touch on, which I thought was interesting. At Hamish, you touched on it there a second ago regarding to Ferrari and Fred Vasseur. Now, even if we're not, as Sebastian Vettel said, everybody's a fan of Ferrari, even if you're not, you are. And I think he's right. Fred Vasseur came out and said that he admitted the expectation was too high at the beginning of the season. And I think us as reasonable humans did not expect him to to come in, wave a magic wand and that Charles would win the championship in the first race. That's not really how the world works. I also am very of the firm belief of, especially someone that high up, they need to be given a couple of seasons. When they have the resources of Ferrari, there's only so long you can be given. I thought Matteo Bonato was given far too long for example, because nothing ever changed. How do we think Vasseur's first year of Ferrari went? I, th- I think he I think he could feel the cop on, almost. You can feel a bit of common sense starting to creep through Ferrari a little bit. There's a lot more to be done. I think the drivers need to get a little bit more aggressive. A bit like, I think, what Carlos did in Singapore, that needs to happen every week from the drivers. They need to call the shots a bit more. But Amy, how did you rank Vasseur's first season? Can you see the change in Ferrari or does he need a few more years? I think being put into a position like that anyway, you kind of do need a bit of time to fit into what is happening. At the end of the day, you've been chucked into a position that, he, like, he, even though he has experience in team principle, he's going into a new team, new environment, new things, I think is it can be quite overwhelming. And sometimes you do you, we need to see him get through a couple of years before making a definite decision. However, there's... Something I, I've always I've always said about Ferrari, like 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 you kind of said, everyone's a Ferrari fan, and I I do like to see Ferrari do well. But in recent years, especially, it's like questioning. Like you've got, I think they need to question themselves. What is going wrong? Mm. Like, do they actually know what they're doing wrong? Are they actually making improvements on what is happening here? Because I don't think they are. Like last year, the strat- the strategy, nothing changed for a whole year. There was no improvement there. There was like. Are you blind? Because I think everyone else is pointing it out for you and you're still not seeing it. And it was a bit like, I think sometimes questions at Ferrari especially just need to be answered. And whether Fred will answer them, we don't know. But I think him going in there, fresh pair of eyes, sort of 
going over everything. And I think I really hope he we see more from Ferrari in 2024. I think, like you said, that is where we're going to see whether he does make a difference. Um, and hopefully it does. But at the same time, I think we've just got to give it time and just kind of sit and wait. And that is it. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think you're dead right. Um, one thing I mentioned this uh, a couple of years ago on the podcast um, that I, th- I thought one of the biggest problems with Ferrari, kind of from the top down, is stubborn Italianism. Everything was passion for the brand and passion for Italy, and everything must be done with the flair of Ferrari. And that's all well and good, but it wasn't working. It didn't work. Everything everything started well and then blew up. And whenever anything blew up, everything was all panicky and everything just went to pot, went to hell in a handbasket immediately. Nothing was ever consistent throughout the year. The last time Ferrari had that sort of common sense for an extended period of time and won anything was when Jean Todd was at the helm. They now have a, another very calm, very professional Frenchman at the helm. And I don't know, this might be offending every nation in Europe, but I think the, the having someone with a little bit less emotional connection to Ferrari and to Italy and to the Tifosi is good for Ferrari and is exactly what they need. Chiara, what do you make of Fred Vasseur? I think Fred is a great person to lead the reboot of Ferrari because frankly, that's what they need. Mm -hmm. And you're right in that. I think what makes a good team principal, or let's say a leader in general, is someone who can pull back from all the chaos and really take a look at the root of what's going on instead of being emotional and panicky because you can't I mean yes you can have emotion that's I'm not saying you're not supposed to be emotional at Mm -hmm. all but you need to be able to remove yourself from that and think because when that moment of panic comes let's say that when Carlos's car got completely smashed by the the drain cover you need to be able to lead your team in that chaos because obviously the mechanics are already stressing. Okay, how do we fix the car? What are we going to do? So you need someone to just point out instead of be frustrated and throw things at the wall or something. So I hope that we'll see much more improvement for next season and really see what Fred can do. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, very, very true. And you're right, I think having that level head is is very, very key, especially in those panicky moments where your car gets assaulted by a drain cover. Hamish then, there was a lot of, and I think maybe this is maybe some of the pressure that came on, on him at the start of the season, is that while he's been around motorsport for decades, his record of Formula 1, he's, it's a bit like Eric Tanha going to Manchester United. Yes, he had success in his former club to a certain extent, but he's never been proven at the top winning championships and titles and even races. So he came from Sauber where, yes, they brought Charles Leclerc in and were quite good, but they weren't running races and challenging for podiums. And while he was in Renault, when they were Renault, they were doing nothing ever. He was there in 2016 and now he's the head of Ferrari. So do you think that might be where some of the pressure come from is just the weight of expectation of no real proven track record of success, for want of a better term, in terms of championships and wins? Or do you think that's exactly why he was hired? Hey, I already said about Alfa Romeo. The point dropping Alfa Romeo has been huge. And I don't, I don't think that's simply just because teams got worse. I think they've, they've lost Fred Bursar. And I think he's he's a really talented team principal. And I think I think he is the right head for the team. Mm-hmm. What I will say about his statement is, if you if you go to Ferrari and expect the expectations to ever be lower than, yeah. than a simple bar, then you're, you're going to the wrong team. Very I mean, true. Sebastian Vettel sorry, said it himself. When you paint an F1 car, you paint it red. It's the oldest team of Formula One. It's always going to be expectations. It's always going to be a team which every year people will go, can they win the World Championship? Mm-hmm. So expectation always behind that team and it's how you deal with them. I, I think Fred's dealt with them well. I, I think I think he is the right head for that team. And I think you pointed out there, and I think it's always been an issue of Ferrari. Their best years is when they, I, I'm not sure globalization is the right term, but I, I call it kind of a globalization of talent in the sense that their best years when they pull people outside of, of Italy. And it's great That's they hire Ross Brown, Yeah, exactly. Schumacher. It's exactly that. And I think, I think it's great they hire in Italy. It's really important for the Italian economy. I think that's great for them. And I think it still needs to exist. However, what every other team's doing, which I don't think Ferrari always do, is they're able to compile the best talent from all over Europe. They're not selective. Like, although Mercedes do hire a lot of Brits, there's a lot of people from everywhere else. The head of the um, team is and- German. <laughs> exactly. And you you need that. You need to be able to go, right, okay, we need the best talent from 
everywhere. And I think, I think Jean, not Jean, Fred is that, going back a couple of years there, sorry, but I think, I think Fred is, is you're right, he's calm, he's methodical. I actually think though, I, I've always thought this, I don't quite know where they got rid of Aviva Bene. I thought he was great. I know he was, I know he did win 2017-18, but apart from 22, that was the most competitive season they had for, for a while. So, I, okay, look, I think he's the right head. I think he's going in the right direction. We'll see what happens. I think he's dealing with the pressure well, despite kind of saying we had too high expectations. But yeah, I don't know. I think it comes down to a lot of drivers as well. Can can Leclerc keep his head in the game? Because he seems to lose it as yep. soon as he gets a bit emotional. Can Carlos rise to the challenge? Because he seems to, re- he's one of the best midfield drivers I think we've seen in the last decade. But he can't fight at the top consistently. Mm-hmm. He did well at Singapore. But I felt the weird thing about Singapore was, it was like the midfield was at the front. It was a very clamoring race. He, he didn't exactly hold a lead. He was he was using Lander to fight off the faster cars. Which is very wily, but it's a midfield drive that. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. There's a, I would say there's a lot of pressure on Ferrari this year to do better. Again, as I said, there's always going to be pressure there. So how how Fred deals with that is going to be interesting. And if he thinks we went too high into this year, expect us to have it higher into 2023. 100%. Bloody hell. 100%. Yeah, 2024. It's, it's around the corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I think you're dead right. I think... I, I, we might be maybe like, maybe we're taking the quote out of context, but expectations being too high could have been a number of things. I think maybe just the expectations on Ferrari as a whole after last season where they were the fastest car in the grid and vanished. There was a big expectation. They bounced back from that and they didn't, at least not immediately. But they're, they're, I, like I said, I I, th- I think his his guiding hand could be seen as the season went on. I think I think you're right. I think the drivers now need to step up a lot more. Carlos needs to rise to the occasion more and Charles needs to stay there. And like you said, he he is, for someone who's so calm and soft-spoken, he's a total hothead. And like, I am stupid is literally his catchphrase and it shouldn't be when you want to be challenging for world championships. You never heard Seb saying that when he was dominating or Lewis saying that when he was dominating. You definitely never heard Michael Schumacher saying it or Max Verstappen. He never calls himself stupid. He calls everyone around him stupid. He never calls himself stupid. So I think there's something on the drivers, but I do think Fred Vasseur is the right person to coax it out of him. He's the one who brought him into Formula One in the first place. I, <laughs> for want of a better term, I have really high expectations for Ferrari next season. But I do think tomorrow, next season will be a good a good season for them. They finished this year really, really strongly. The team really got around, kind of, they, they, they got a handle on a lot of their issues. Whatever they changed about the car towards the end of the season seemed to change Charles as a driver completely. He got much more comfortable with that car. I think that really, really showed. If we were basing it on the last four or five races of the season, I'd have nearly rated him. And I think he scored more than almost anyone else. And he didn't race in Brazil, which was really impressive. So, yeah, I've, I think Ferrari are going to have a good year next year, but I think Fred Reserves had a good year. That will just about do it for us. Does anyone have any last-minute pieces of news or information they want to throw out there before we finish up? I would just say about the oh. FIA prize given. Oh, yeah, go ahead. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That happened this so, week. So <laughs> yeah, Max is just... officially the champion now. Yeah, I just thought, wasn't it? I, th- I might have completely misread this or misheard this. Probably fake news, just working out if it's fake, like, fact or fiction but didn't Lewis Hamilton leave his trophy at there I don't know whether that was true no, or that, not but... that was true so what oh, I read okay. was what I read was basically apparently the guy who took the award or was given the award by Hamilton came online and tweeted out saying basically what happened was he asked if he could have the award Hamilton said yes and it was all seen as a bit of a kind of dig at the FIA but it's basically come out what the, what he was saying he thinks happened was Lewis Hamilton thought he was an FIA official and he was coming to take the award off him to store it somewhere so then he could pick it up later. So basically Hamilton gave him the award in kind of thinking he, he worked for the FIA, but he didn't at all. So apparently that's what happens. There was a massive miscommunication somewhere in the line of this guy right. asking for Hamilton's award and him giving it to him. So if that's true, I don't know. I think it could be either, either or, but it, he definitely left it either way or, or gave it away to someone. He certainly left behind. I'm reading that quote here that the guy who took the trophy, it was a misunderstanding. He said, can I have your trophy? And Lewis said, yeah. Can I take your trophy? Lewis said, yes. Thinking he was an FIA official. And as you said, Mercedes assuming literally that he meant, can I take your trophy and mind it for you and arrange for it to be sent to your factory? Lewis is going to carry the trophy home with him. Why would he? I don't think he's ever carried a trophy home, even the championship trophies. I don't even think they get to keep them. So yes, big miscommunication, but... This is actually another great example of the media taking something and blowing it 
wildly out of proportion while doing absolutely no homework whatsoever to find out what really happened. Yeah, that was that was a little bit ridiculous. But uh, yeah, the ceremony was was good fun. I liked I liked Oscar Piastri's comments that he hopes he's never a rookie again. All right, then we will end with that one. Thank you very, very much to my panel this evening. Thank you, Amy, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Kiara. Thank you. And thank you, Hamish. Cheers, guys. If this, this will probably be my, my last podcast for the, the, the winter break. So thank you all for joining me and I hope you all have a lovely holiday and new year. And same to all of our listeners. Thank you all very, very much for joining us all throughout this season. All throughout the way to break, if there is any breaking news, uh, Formula One or motorsport as a whole, you will find it on everythingf1.com. Be sure to follow us on all socials at joinef one to stay up to date with anything new that breaks. Final shout out then again to our fantastic sponsors, theraceworks.com. You can get all of your merch. Great time to get any last minute gifts for Christmas and the holidays for the motorsport and Formula One fan in your life. Don't forget to use code EF1 for 10% off site-wide at checkout, theraceworks.com. Again, we'll leave a link to that in the show notes below. That's it for me. Thank you very, very much to my panel. Thank you all for listening. This is the Everything F1 podcast and we will chat to you again soon. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night.